1: Hi, everybody. I'm Kelly Evans and here's what's ahead this hour. Microsoft weighing on the broader markets today, but we're off the lows as it sets in that the quarter wasn't quite as bad as some feared. And while Microsoft can't control enterprise spending right now, they can control and invest heavily in AI. Does that make the stock more appealing here? We'll debate. And as we uh, move through a choppy earnings season, are you wasting your time investing in the U.S. this year? International stocks have been outperforming and our guest says there is still more upside. Wait till you see the shark image uh, that he brings to us. We've also, of course, got Tesla on deck now to report. And we've got the analyst who thinks the stock could go to 425. But for a different reason than you might think, he joins us to make his case. First, let's get to
2: the man, Dom Chu, with the very latest on these markets. Dom? As you point out, Kelly, we are well off session lows right now. In fact, drifting towards session highs, believe it or not. Now, let's put it in context. We still have a Dow that's It's down about 197, 200 points, 33,536. The S&P is now below 39 or 4,000 rather, 39.84, down 32 points. Now, at the highs of the session, we were down 27. So we're kind of drifting that way. At the lows, we were down as much as 67. So again, well off the lows. We're still, though, down three quarters of 1%. 3985 the nasdaq composite 11285 down 128 points or over 1% in terms of the loss the real epicenter has been that tech heavier nasdaq trade now you mentioned the evs as well all eyes on tesla of course after the closing bell today for its earnings report but the entire electric vehicle industry is in focus right now because of those Tesla price cuts, we could see a looming, perhaps, price war developing in terms of EVs. Who undercuts what price where and when? So Tesla shares ahead of that uh, report down about one third of one percent. Rivian Automotive has been drifting between gains and losses, up about one half of one percent. Fisker gets downgraded, by the way, by Morgan Stanley to a sell rating. It's off five percent today. Watching Lucid Group, Neo, as well as the Chinese EV side of things. So again, very much in focus on that EV side of things, and then. Of course, megacap technology very much in the focus these days. Microsoft, of course, because of the earnings report, you can see there, Microsoft's only down about a percent right now. But Apple, Alphabet, Amazon, NVIDIA, some of the biggest tech and tech-related names out there, still down. We'll see if that sentiment shifts a little bit towards the closing bell, Kel. I'll send things back over to you.
1: All right, Tom, thank you very much. And Microsoft is where we start today. Despite weak guidance and the slowest sales growth in six years, the tech giant is not slowing down its spending on AI. Is it the right bet? And does it make the stock a buy here or will competition catch up? Let's ask Kim Forrest, Boca Capital Partner CIO, Ashley Gold, Axios Tech Policy Reporter and CNBC's very own Steve Kovac. Welcome, everybody. Kim, I'll start with you. What's your reaction to the quarter and to the the AI investments they're working on here?
3: Sure. I don't think it was a surprising quarter. I think they did well in a difficult environment, especially with the consumer slowing considerably and a little less so in um, their corporate accounts, which is really what drives that company. So not a big surprise. And I do love their investment in AI because, well, it can add value to their products. And I think that it's a smart move to do that.
1: All right. Ashley, let me turn to you. I mean, it does seem as though the market is giving them a vote of confidence for this investment, contra maybe to what we saw with Meta or Facebook and Meta in the Metaverse. But is Google going to catch up, Ashley? Are others going to catch up and make what they've done so far look a little less enticing uh, once there's more to pick from?
4: I do think other companies are going to catch up. I think where Microsoft has an advantage here is that chat GPT through OpenAI is really what's made AI in this iteration really break through to the masses and getting people to understand what this next wave of AI is, how it works and what its possibilities are. So I think Microsoft just having the association with ChatGPT is really gonna help them. You know, it's, it's something that is buzzy, it's something that people know about that they've seen examples of. Right. Other stuff, Meta's use of AI, it's kind of under the hood. It's baked into stuff that they already do and Meta isn't really a trusted name, so I'm not sure people are going to care as much about current uh, tech companies' investments in AI and what they're planning since ChatGPT
1: is so, so buzzy. Is it, Ashley, what do we know about Google's AI efforts here and what they may yet uh, be be trying to dazzle us with? So,
4: I mean, there's the AI they use in their everyday technology, just things like Gmail prompts and Uh, Things like YouTube search results and things that make their everyday, you know, things that we use all the time smarter, faster. I mean, I'm not totally sure what their long-term moonshot AI projects are. That's uh, something they've been a little more mum about. But I know that as the market slows and digital advertising is cratering, these types of things that are more future focused are what these companies are thinking about.
1: Steve, all I can think is you—you—you you, you can't turn your head around uh, a television without seeing a story about ChatGPT. It was on SNL this weekend. It was. Yeah. Is that not g- like genius, brilliant timing for Microsoft? Hey, here's a quarter where, to your point, consumer demand is imploding. <clears throat> Sales mm-hmm. are only up two percent—the worst growth since 2016. Azure, I don't know. It depends on where you sort of really thought expectations were. It wasn't a disaster, but it's a clear slowing. It's
5: slowing down a lot. Yeah, yeah Let's and, be clear.
1: and if it weren't for us talking about this buzzy new toy that they seem to have gotten quite right, you have to imagine everyone's reaction to this would be a lot worse.
5: Here's the first question for Nadella on the call, not why is Azure slowing down, wow. not why do you expect, why is your worst revenue growth since 2017? No. What do you plan to do with OpenAI? What do you plan to do with ChatGPT? Wow. Nadella's answer, we're going to put it everywhere. Right now there's they're selling it in Azure, there's some in a limited way, but they're going to put this technology, to use Nadella's words, across their entire stack. That means all your office applications, everything they make is gonna have some layer of this AI technology. That's his vision. And he also said, look, we're at the beginning of a new computing platform. Forget the metaverse, that was the buzzword of two years ago. This is not a buzzword, this is reality. This is, they're putting money behind this, Kelly.
1: And the di- difference, Kim, is that we've all used it. You know, I, I mean, if uh, it's, seriously, if anyone watching right now has not said into chat GPT, you know, pick your interface, Hey, uh, make a business TV show that, you know, that, that rhymes in verse. I mean, the stuff, the creative aspect is what blows my mind about it. I can understand if it came up with facts, and a lot of its facts are wrong, but that's not what I care about, Kim. What I care about is the way that it can write haikus that make sense. It's better than I am.
3: Well, I've always been a big proponent to uh, using haikus to deliver any kind of news <laughs> because you know it kind of buffers stuff. Now, I'm, but to be serious, I think Microsoft is spot on in this use of technology that it is going to enhance people's not only fun of using it, but actually once they get in the groove, it's going to do a lot of grunt work, which is what AI really should do. It should mine the the world, come up with stuff that we need, and then let the human being be able to direct what to do with what we have. And I think that's what Microsoft is really putting their money into. As opposed to like meta, trying to make the metaverse, whatever that is.
1: Right. And I I understand sort of the the metaverse is inevitable. I mean, it's already here. It's not that it's nothing. It's just less clear the the sort of investment valuation case, the use case and all the rest of it. Kim, leave this for us on the stock angle, especially in a market that's very, very nervous right now. And with tech valuations having massively reset. Do you think Microsoft's multiple makes sense here? What's the read through for the rest of big tech? Um, Have we cleared some landmines or are they still out there?
3: Well, I think that it's pretty still richly valued, but if you're going to look out longer term, and God knows I'd look three to five years out, looking at the landscape of big tech, I think Microsoft is a clear winner, not only because of the culture of the company that they want to provide their um, buyers of their product with value, but just their direction and how they've been deploying their uh, resources. So this AI Um, focus really demonstrates that.
1: And Ashley, I'm just curious before we let you go. I mean, let's not forget all of these salvos coming down from the DOJ and others against Google. I think in India they face big regulatory uh, problems as well. What do you think? How big are these going to amount to in terms of a distraction and a headache at a time when they need to be trying to catch up, frankly, uh, unless there's something I don't know about uh, in this whole Microsoft AI race? It's a big distraction
4: and a headache. The DOJ case about the ad technology that came out yesterday is a pretty serious lawsuit, 150 pages. Jonathan Kanter, who does antitrust at the Justice Department, has been working on this for a long time. This is his top important thing he's focusing on. This is a fairly sophisticated lawsuit, and it's a little different from the other antitrust lawsuits we're seeing because it focuses on markets, on money— and on the way companies like Google tie their products together and make customers use them sort of as a package. So I think this is gonna be quite a bit of a headache for them and at least make them slow down or stop altogether any investments in new ad technology. And it's obviously hard at a time when digital advertising
1: is is down across the board. Great point, Steve, a final word. A final word, oh my,
5: consumer demand, we're talking a lot. It, that is what really stuck out to me in, in this Microsoft report. To see PC uh, Windows revenue go down 39%, to see Xbox gaming revenue go down 12%. Wow. This was a holiday quarter. This is Christmas. Wow. No and, and video game sales were down, PC sales were down. Nadella and CFO Amy Hood said, this is we're back to pre-pandemic levels as far as demand for PCs. We've seen that, uh, the demand faltering in that December quarter among other industries. And next week, when we get the rest of the big tech earnings, Apple, Amazon what is the read through on the consumer from those? Last year, the story around Apple was they're kind of resistant to this fall in sure. consumer demand. Is that still true? That is my number one question next week.
1: All right, we will leave it there. Great stuff, guys. Thank Thanks. you all. Steve Kovac, Ashley Gold, Kim Forrest. Five-year notes went up for auction top of the hour. You know we're going to get Rick Santelli in here to tell us how it went over. Over at the CBO today as well, Rick.
6: Yes, Kelly, and this is the second auction. If you do recall, yesterday's $42 billion in two-year notes, that was an A. Well, this five-year note auction, also an A, a real solid auction. $43 billion, they go off at a yield of 3.53%. Below the when-issued market, lower yield, higher price. Some of the metrics are clearly off the charts. The bid to cover, two point six four. That means there was $2.64 chasing every dollar of securities available The best since August of 2020. But here's the biggie. Indirects. This is the one you like, Kelly. This is all that foreign interest. 75.7. I have a 22-year database. I don't have a higher number than that. The only light fly in the ointment, direct bidders, 15.4%, a little below the 10 auction average. And dealers, dealers take 8.8%. I don't have a smaller percentage. So customers cleared the buffet table. A solid A. We now have 85 billion in our pockets. Tomorrow will be 35 billion seven years. And when you have two auctions like this that go off this solid, it tells you investors are looking for yields to drop. Back to you.
1: Very well said. Crystal clear. Rick Santelli, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Back to the broader markets where another clear trend that's emerging since the new year. How about Europe outperforming the U.S.? It's been helped by a milder winter there, easing fears about that massive energy crunch. The euro stocks jumping 6% this month, about double the performance of the S&P. And my next guest expects this trend to last for maybe years and says so it's not too late to get in on this trade. Joining us now is Jeff Kleintop, chief global investment strategist at Charles Schwab. And CNBC's Seema Modi here with us as well. Welcome to both of you. And Jeff, for years, really, you expect Europe to do. How does that make any sense?
7: Well, you know, whenever we go through a recession, we reset the clock. You know, back in uh, in 2022, we thought it'd be the first year in a decade to see international outperformance of U.S. stocks and the start of a longer term trend. They did outperform last year and they're outperforming again this year. The reason for the change in relative performance is the recession. I know. An official recession hasn't been declared yet, but we believe a global recession began last year. And over the past 50 years, I do. I do a mild one. Every time we see this, we see the a reversal in the relative performance of US and international stocks. So whatever perform outperformed the last cycle becomes the laggard. We go from leaders to the laggards. So we've been using a shark chart to yeah. talk about these cycles <laughs> in I investing think we have a and big the danger. Vi- a, yeah, a big posed vision of it just yeah. so
1: people can see and basically it's it's that they go in these long kind of uh, spans and you think we're in a period when there's going to be a big trend reversal and and the bottom line here's what I find interesting, Jeff. I would expect you to say, Kelly, a global recession started last year. Here's the shark, by the way. You think that gap's going to close about performance. <clears throat> I thought you were going to say a recession, global recession started last year, so European stocks will start to underperform as well. I'm surprised you think that they will continue to outperform. And why is that?
7: So when we get into these cycles, again, this reverses. It's behavioral as much as it's, it's fundamental. In the 80s and the 2000s, international outperformed. that blue line was rising, and the orange line was rising when the U.S. outperformed in the 90s and the 2010s. And after a full cycle of outperformance, trends revert. Valuations are too high. Earnings are expectations are too high. And whatever has done well, and that was the U.S., we're now seeing the opposite, right? Earnings are actually doing better internationally than they are in the U.S. This quarter, U.S. S&P 500 earnings down 3% year-over-year year for the quarter. In Europe, up 10, uh, 10% year-over-year. Year. Valuations are very different as well. We're also seeing a lot of uh, other factors uh, like uh, the characteristics that are driving the market. It's no longer liquidity-driven tech stocks that are driving the markets higher. It's higher dividend yields and lower price-to-cash-flow ratios that have been driving the markets within and across sectors, and those are more prevalent outside the U.S.
8: Wow, Seema, I am truly a little surprised by all these developments. What's doing be- even better than Europe, Kelly, though? is emerging markets up 10% this year, $13 billion in inflows. And we're only in the first three weeks of 2023, uh, surpassing all records that we've seen. And if we really take a step back, the emerging market trade was dead for 10 years, right? It did nothing. Exactly. And suddenly you're seeing this sharp, sharp turn in sentiment. Part of it has to do with more Wall Street strategists expecting international equities to outperform the U.S., as Jeff was alluding to. But then you have these other drivers like the China reopening and now being emboldened by new numbers that we received from inside Asian gaming, which suggests that the Chinese are now visiting Macau. You're starting to see that activity pick up on the ground. Uh, And valuations, too, even when you look at because emerging markets are so depressed for so many years, even the big spike that we've seen this year, still trading at 12 times earnings, still cheaper than the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ.
1: Is this like a last hurrah moment, though, Jeff? I mean, again, I don't typically think about global recessions as a period of time when equities anywhere do well.
7: Well, it's a transition period, and usually markets tend to bottom before the, uh, uh, you know, before the recession's over. But here's what's important. We're already in a bull market for international investing. European stocks are up over 20%. The bear market's over, I think, for these equities. Not to say volatility can't reemerge. And I would say that China both poses an upside risk to growth, but an upside risk to inflation as well. And should the European central bank become much more hawkish than it's expected to be right now, that could be a negative. Alternatively, if the Fed moves to aggressively cutting rates later this year, That could return us to the liquidity-driven environment that powered U.S. tech stocks in the last cycle. So there are tail risks to this, but I think the base case scenario of hike and then hold for the global central banks points to international and emerging market outperformance this year and probably for years to come.
8: I would also point out, and it's not just China. China is leading uh, emerging market inflows by around 7 billion so far this year, but India is up, uh, South Korea, Japan. And there's an interesting story that came out overnight with Hindenburg, a short seller, taking aim at not yes. just India's most powerful man, but Asia's richest man, Gautam Adani, $118 billion in wealth, uh, accusations of fraud and stock price manipulation. Uh, their CFO providing a statement to CNBC, disputing those claims, but those specific stocks, the Adani Group stocks are down about 6 to 8% today. But clearly I'm curious over time, as, a, as investors try to gain more exposure to international stocks, whether governance becomes a bigger concern, especially for India. And maybe Jeff, if you have comments there.
7: Well, I do. I mean, I think we've seen some of this develop within China, right? We're now able to audit Chinese companies, auditors as well. And so there's more transparency coming, uh, particularly for those shares listed on US exchanges. But I think we're seeing more and more of that as we see more uh, opening and the desire to to get capital from the rest of the world. There's a recognition that uh, we need to step up and and auditors are recognizing this as well. So I think we're moving in that direction. And investors are are certainly increasingly looking there with their portfolios.
1: You know, I I, you can hear the skepticism in my voice, but I, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to understand. Uh, it's a really compelling case, Jeff, and it's a fascinating data trend we really hadn't noticed. So thank you so much for bringing it to us. Seema, thank you as well. Seema Thanks Modi, Jeff me. Kleintop, and the case for investing somewhere else today. But if you want to stay here, look at Tesla. The shares are down 60% from their recent highs. Can today's results help turn things around? We'll go under the hood and hear from one analyst who thinks the stock could triple from here. Plus, IBM, CSX and a couple major airlines are on deck with their earnings. We've got the numbers and the narratives you need to know in earnings exchange. And as we head to break, here's a look at the markets overall. The Nasdaq was down 2%. It's a less than 1% drop right now. The Dow's down 111. The 10-year yield at 345. The exchange is back after this. Welcome back. Shares of Tesla now fractionally higher today as they head into earnings after the bell or results or earnings. But they're up about 16 percent to start the year. And one of my next guests says there's more room to run. Thanks not just to the EV stuff, but also their emerging player in energy storage. Joining us now, Vijay Rakesh is managing director at Mizuho. And Tib Higgins is a reporter at The Wall Street Journal and a CNBC contributor. Welcome to both of you. All right. Now, I don't mean to be skeptical two segments in a row here, VJ, but I tried to do this Powerwall thing and it was expensive and it didn't quite work. And this was maybe a couple years ago. So maybe things have changed. Do tell.
11: Yeah, no, I think um, Tesla is definitely the biggest market share uh, in the U.S. and globally. And so they tend to take the uh, take the bigger hit on, in terms of criticism on EVs. But I would say, you know, when you look at the competition, they are doing, uh, Tesla is doing very well. They obviously have the best margin profile, gross margin profile there. Almost every other EV OEM is running at a loss. Um, they have a pretty good 20, 25% gross margin profile on the electric, electrification side. Um, they're throwing off almost $10 billion in free cash flow a year. Very solid balance sheet with the 25 billion in hand, uh, but obviously the stock has gotten hit because there is a lot of consumer exposure there. I think the consumers are stretched, interest rates are very high, yeah. uh, financing rates are very high, affordability is very low. So I think those are uh, big challenges for them in the near term for sure. So there'll be a drag here on Tesla going into earnings, especially because December quarter you know they' had some price cuts, you know mm-hmm. things are a little slow, they had to shut down Shanghai, et cetera so
1: would you say tim that the big question is is obviously going to be profit margins and the extent to which they're you know taking a cut maybe now to try to elbow out the competition as capital becomes more scarce and costly
12: yeah absolutely yeah. we've seen sorry them. tim go ahead yeah, we've seen them in the last uh, few weeks pull that lever to try to generate more demand. I mean, a kind of concern among consumers about the recession, potential for recession, those sorts of things. But I think investors want to know what, at what cost, right? There's this balance between Tesla being a growth stock story going in the for, forward uh, and seeing a remarkable growth or, you know, what what's it going to really cost the company and, and margins really going to be hit.
1: Right. Tim, you know, we also have this news uh, from uh, Dow Jones of The Wall Street Journal that Musk is now trying to raise billion or so to try to pay off this Twitter debt. Now, these companies aren't related, except they are through his presence, obviously. So is there any significance for us to think through here in terms of his need to do a Twitter kind of uh, fundraise, the ripple effect back on Tesla in terms of if I don't know if there would need to be more stock sales or what's left in terms of that at this point? How much more risk is there in the stock from that point of view, do you think?
12: Absolutely. I think investors will feel relief when they see Twitter uh, start to stabilize because there's this concern in the back of many's minds that uh, Elon's go to uh, technique in the past to raise cash has been to sell Tesla shares to borrow against uh, his stock in SpaceX and in Tesla. And so if he can kind of alleviate those concerns and kind of de- decouple the risk seen between Tesla and Twitter, that's probably going to be a win for investors uh, You know, looking forward to the next year or so.
1: And even as I'm reporting this, Vijay, he is tweeting no <laughs> to this report about exploring raising up to $3 billion, which should be bearish for Tesla then. Let's show the charts. I mean, if he says he's not going to do it this way, then how's he going to get the cash?
11: Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, when you look at Tesla, obviously, uh, the last six months saw a perfect storm with uh, you know, interest rates going up, consumers being in a bad position, uh, Shanghai shutdowns, and then the whole Twitter overhang, right? So I think, um, as you look forward from here, um, you know, if you start to put a peak on rates as you go into mid- mid-2023, production starts to ramp up. And obviously, the price cuts, as Tim mentioned, uh, uh, might have helped them gain some share here into the first quarter, as they brought down their inventories, I think all that positions Tesla as a stock, um, as an investment, um, fairly well. Uh, given that you know, you probably saw some of the worst. Uh, of headlines in the last six months in terms of quote uh, shutdowns, uh, interest rates and uh, Twitter, et cetera. So we, we think, you know, things probably start to improve as you go through, especially into the back half of the year. So,
1: yeah, the shares are still positive despite him uh, tweeting, no, that he's not going to, uh, to go this route. Tim, what would your final comment here be to investors who are awaiting this report, uh, trying to figure out what's going to happen with pricing and profits uh, for Tesla here and then figuring out how that sets up the stock for the rest of the year?
12: Yeah, to me, today is all about listening for Elon's uh, tone and the call. Presumably, he'll be there. How optimistic is he? History would suggest that he will go into kind of salesman mode to sell that vision of Tesla to try to get people back into the idea that it's a tech company versus recent weeks where it looked a heck of a lot like an auto company doing the normal auto company sorts of things, putting uh, cutting prices and trying to move metal.
1: True, true. If if they unroll a friends and family deal, then it's over. Uh, Then then they've really... uh, Tim Higgins, Vijay Rakesh, thank you both for your time today. With those results on deck, we look forward to it. Still ahead, will the threat of deep cuts to defense spending spook investors? It comes as the Aerospace and Defense ETF, the ITA, is less than 3% away from a new 52-week high. We'll explore that ahead. But first, small caps are seeing some big gains to start the year, and we'll look at whether the run can continue and how, if at all, you should play it. And as we go to break, the Dow is near session highs, similar to yesterday. Today, pairing a 460-point loss, we're 75 points away from going positive. Names like McDonald's, Merck, and Amex are leading the way, with Chevron, Travelers, and Apple the worst performers. The Exchange is back after this. Well, Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. Dow could go positive. It's down 74 compared with an earlier drop of almost 500 points. We got about four-tenths percent drop in the S&P right on the nose at 4,000 there, and the Nasdaq down two-thirds of a percent. But take a look at what's going on with mega-cap tech. Microsoft, the worst performer. Originally, it was setting the tone for all of tech last night after those weak results, but now Microsoft is only down one-third of one percent. I'm just make sure you see this one over here. It's really made a turnaround. The worst performer right now of the bunch is actually Alphabet, Google's parent company, down 3% today. So that's quite a turnaround. Apple, one of the stocks weighing on the Dow with a 1% drop. Let's get to Tyler Matheson now for a CNBC News update. Tyler?
6: All right, Kelly, thank you very much. President Biden says the U.S. will send 31 of its Abrams battle tanks to Ukraine, this on the heels of Germany, also agreeing to send its Leopard tanks. Biden says the new weapons for Ukraine show the allies unwavering opposition to Putin's war.
11: Putin expected Europe in the United States to weaken our resolve. He expected our support for Ukraine to crumble with time. He was wrong. He was wrong. And he was wrong from the beginning, and he continues to be wrong. We are united.
6: The suspect in the Half Moon Bay mass shooting will face seven counts of murder and another count of attempted murder. Prosecutors say they will file the charges when the 66-year-old suspect makes his first court appearance later this afternoon. And a study by the Secret Service finds about one quarter of mass casualty attacks are fueled by conspiracy theories or hateful ideologies. Personal grievances, including workplace and financial issues, were the most common motive. Kelly, back to you.
1: Tyler, I will see you shortly. Thank you so much. Coming up, can Big Blue, IBM offset pressure from the greenback? Will fuel costs derail CSX's bottom line? And what impact did the holiday travel season have on American and Southwest? We will try to answer all of those questions ahead in Earnings Exchange. Welcome back to the exchange, everyone. For better or worse, we're getting into the heart of earnings season. We've got a raft of different kinds of companies now. Let's get the action, the story, and the trade on four big names on deck. And we'll start with IBM, whose shares are basically flat over the past year. And lately, that's a good thing. The street is looking for possible benefits from the pullback in the dollar. Any updates on deal making? Frank Holland has the story today, and Delano Sapporo has our trades. He's New Street Advisor, CEO, and a CNBC contributor. Welcome to both of you. Frank, what's at stake here for IBM?
10: Well, let's start off, uh, Kelly. IBM, a lot of questions following that Microsoft report. Um, IBM is a multi-cloud player. They do cloud, hybrid cloud, um, you know, on-prem as well. So uh, they have a lot of different things. So Microsoft beating ever so slightly on their cloud revenue, is that a good thing for IBM? And then also the other part of the story is uh, Microsoft's raised the stakes with its investment in OpenAI. How do other players like an IBM and Oracle, Google, and Amazon, how do they raise the stakes? Last year, we saw Google uh, thought they were raising the states by acquiring Mandiant and adding security facets to their business, so a lot of questions for IBM. One of the first ways we're gonna get an answer to that question is their software revenue. Estimates have that software revenue actually declining year over year. So the question is, will their their revenues be hurt as much by this IT spending slowdown as people believe? And then there's also the dollar questions for not only their overall business, but specifically for their consulting business. That's about a third of revenues. Are people still hiring their consultants and do they still want that consultancy work from that IBM, AKA Big Blue is known for?
1: Absolutely. (laughs) Delano, people are excited about IBM. Are you excited about IBM?
0: Yeah, I wish I had taken my excitement in 2022 and bought more IBM. I'm kicking myself for not right. having more shares. What is around the 120 range. Um, and now, if you look at it, they perform, as you said, relatively better than the rest of the market uh, during 2022. Um, but looking forward, I think the, the what people are going to be looking for as investors is there's still steady growth, right? If you look at their CAGR, they're estimating about 3.4% uh, for this year, and then out to 2024, about 6 point, you know, 6.6% compound annual growth. So so those are things that you want in, in times of uncertainty. One thing they also did over the last you know five to 10 years is divesting in assets that, that weren't as profitable for them. And that's. Made them a lot more efficient, um, and they're you know focusing on those growth areas. Um, so that's what makes this this exciting time for, for investors that are invested in IBM, Kelly. Or it should
1: be, but did Microsoft just cast a bit of a, I was going to say a cloud a shadow over things, um, Delano, What's your read on the Microsoft quarter and some of the the headwinds it now poses as we move into the uh, through IBM and also next week more of its uh, mega cap tech peers?
0: Yeah, I will see I think you know. The big thing that everyone was looking at was obviously the cloud growth, and I'm and I speaking for someone that lives, someone that does enterprise services. That's an area that everyone um, is really focused on is that cloud growth, and I think um, it, it's the biggest factor. And so I think their earnings were okay. Uh, we're seeing them down a little bit now, but you know pulling back. Um, but it is a bellwether for the rest of tech, right? And seeing if the demand is sticking or softening. Um, and so that's the big thing I'm focused on when it comes to all of these uh, mega cap names.
1: Yeah, and I, man, if this thing turns positive by the close that's going to be very telling as well. It's only down half a percent right now. Capital One turning around as well. Anyway, let's move on to CSX, which is also reporting the transport giant down four percent this week after Union Pacific week results yesterday are mixed. I should say they had rising input costs, labor disputes, weakening macro, a lot of things to watch here. Uh, Frank Holland, what help us unpack this one. And, And is it going to be a barometer economically, you think?
10: Well, you know, I don't know if it's going to be a bummer economically, but this one's actually really simple. CSX is a stock that trades on its operating ratio. Operating ratio is the inverse of operating margin. The lower, the better. The streets estimate right now is higher than it was a year ago. The streets estimate is 60.8%. A year ago, that number was 60.1%, and then the year before it was 57%. That means the company's just getting less profitable as we continue on. So obviously the rail deal is one factor. They had to pay their workers more. The other question is, can they still charge the same premium when it comes to freight? And then their biggest segment, that's merchandise, they get more than half of revenue from that. That's autos, metals, and chemicals. Well, there's some headwinds and tailwinds there when it comes to slower consumer spending. Maybe they're not shipping as many autos after earlier in the year, there weren't as many autos to ship. And now with chemicals and things like that, is that a steady stream or is that gonna also slow down? So the real question here is again, operating ratio when it comes to the stock, is it becoming more profitable or less profitable?
1: It's a great point, Frank, about how it could be geared to the autos uh, sector. And can't they just report profit margins to- like everybody else, instead of having to make us invert it to figure out what they're saying, what would you do with the stock here?
0: Yeah, because this is one I actually don't own. But after looking at it, you know, obviously, you know, obviously the top line, the bottom line has been growing for them. But the big thing that was kind of cautionary to me was the fact that we are in a macro environment that may see a slowdown and pullback. And that will have some sort of effect on them, potentially. They've been doing well with covering costs and being able to, you know, obviously kind of protect themselves over a rising cost period, especially with fuel. But, but this is one that, you know, is cautionary just because of the macro environment, right? And that's the area that, you know, they would cons- potentially see some headwinds in.
1: All right, we'll leave it on that rather cautious note as well. Frank, thank you very much. Our Frank Holland, you can catch the CEO of CSX on Squawk in the Street tomorrow at 10 a.m. to discuss these results as well. Finally, we have four airlines reporting tomorrow, including American and, yes, Southwest. Americans up 27% over the past year after they doubled revenue guidance on strong bookings. Southwest expected to report a loss and a big charge from those holiday cancellations. Phil Lebeau is here with the stories. And, Phil, I almost feel as though Southwest is, is masking the broader story where was it United in particular that has put up incredible strength in the airline space lately?
13: Yeah, this is the tale of two airlines when you look at American and Southwest. American, we were with the CEO, Robert Isom, a couple of weeks ago when they raised their guidance for the uh, fourth quarter in terms of what to expect. We're going to see strong numbers from them today. That's, that's built in, and that's why you see the strength that you see in shares of American. Southwest, complete opposite. We know there's going to be a big charge related to the holiday meltdown. We know that their guidance is going to reflect the fact that there could be a lingering impact here in terms of cost, in terms of potentially customers booking away. Lots of issues that still need to be sorted out there. So for investors, this is a case where you have specific issues with Southwest. Put them with Southwest. Do not extrapolate those for the rest of the industry.
1: Right. Exactly. And Delano, what about the stocks? 100%
0: Hundred percent right. Um, I think if you look at it um, over the, you know, the period of time, all the airline stocks, especially um, American Airlines, have performed pretty well. Now, of course, Southwest have had a little bit of trouble, and I do agree that that's a, a specific to um, Southwest. And if you look at them over a longer period of time, though. That stock has obviously performed really well. So the big thing I'm focusing on when it comes to the airlines is if that business travel returns the same way that leisure travel has returned, right? So there's still some upside comparing to 2019 numbers uh, to 2022. So overall, liking the industry, um, I think a lot of American Airlines has been baked into the price. But if investors want to have exposure to this area that still has some upside, it relates to 2019. You know, these are two stocks and two areas that are performing, you know, rather well, profitably, sure. uh, that you would potentially be in.
1: And since you're both here, I mean, how Could we not just sneak in a a little quickie one about Tesla? Delano, you want any exposure into earnings here? Are you going to wait this one out?
0: This is what I've been holding on um, to and have been, you know, kind of crushed in, in the last couple of years. Or so, um, so, so have released some of my, my holdings in Tesla and I think I would be just holding the rest for now. Um, you know, just got to see how deliveries are. Obviously, there's a lot of things um, going on legality wise with Tesla. Um, I still think it's the, the best player in the, in the space uh, and, and something that, you know, as the industry itself grows, it'll still perform well, but it's going it's to be a volatile ride for sure.
1: Phil, last word.
13: Watch the gross auto margins. Yes. That's the stat that everybody will be watching. If it's just one stat you're looking for, watch that one. What's the, uh, what's the consensus? 26.2%. Wow. That, that's the expectation. It was 26.8%. Uh, or I'm sorry, 26.4%. 26.8% was where it was in th- third quarter. It was about th- 2 or 3% higher last year. If it's relatively close to 262 I don't think you're going to see much of an impact on the stock.
1: I totally agree. That is the, the metric of all metrics to keep an eye on tonight. Guys, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Phil Abo and Delano Soporo for Earnings Exchange. Phil will join us tomorrow with an exclusive interview with the Alaska Air CEO, by the way. Talk about their earnings and what's going on with the airlines. Don't miss it. Still ahead here, the January effect is in full effect this year. The small caps are posting big gains and we'll tell you what to watch next after this. Welcome back, everybody. The so-called January effect is in full swing as small caps outperform the S&P. I didn't know that was the January effect. Dom Chu is here with a look with some of those small cap standouts.
2: To be fair, Kelly, there's a number of different things that people associate with this January effect. But we'll go with that one for right now. What we'll talk about, Kelly, right now is the outperformance so far in the first two and a half weeks or so of this year. And as Kelly points out, those small cap stocks are outperforming both the mid caps and the S&P 500 large caps. By a fairly decent amount, 100-200 basis points in two weeks is a pretty decent gap in terms of performance. Now, the reason why one of them is because of the way things are setting up for these small-cap stocks, because the weightings that we have in many of these small-cap indices, the Russell 2000 in particular, tilts a little bit more towards healthcare, and that's been an outperformer versus, say, technology. In fact, with the Russell 2000, healthcare and financials make up 17% and industrial 16%. So these three sectors are half of that Russell 2000 index. Remember. 25, 26 percent of that in technology is in the S&P 500. Now, we mentioned those biotech stocks, Kelly. Take a look at this performance here. The market cap weighted, which assigns more weight to the larger cap biotechs in terms of the iShares biotech ETF, the IBB is up three and a half percent here. The white line is the equal weighted biotech spider, which is now outperforming right now, indicating that some of those smaller cap biotech names, Kelly, are the ones that are outperforming right now. And that's the reason why it's so important.
1: Is this, you know, just a little bit of a halo effect, a a fun flows effect? And where else might we see it show up?
2: There's been some, uh, I guess, sentiment shift over the course of the past, call it maybe three to six months, a lot more focus on biotech, especially the large side of things, but certainly on the small. And we've got that kind of halo effect. But what's curious is, is some of the bigger performers that you know of in the Russell 2000 are actually brand consumer oriented names Hmm. that you might have heard of. So take a look at these, right? If you look at basically names like Brands, Dave & Buster's, even Crocs, those stocks are bigger weightings than the Russell 2000. They're consumer oriented and they've been outperforming. So if you take a look at the overall picture, interesting, that doesn't really spin that recessionary consumer slowdown narrative if the small cap consumer names are doing pretty well.
1: You know, it's a very, it's a very murky uh, sort of environment right now. You, when Steve Kovac says Xbox sales are down or, or revenues down 12 percent year on year in a holiday quarter, and that tells you about the consumer on the one hand. Then you talk about Dave and Buster's, Crocs, you know, every, and and that gives you kind of a different feeling.
2: It, it does. And, and the reason why it's so kind of the reason why a lot of folks can't figure out what it's all about right now is because. Typically, if you talk about a rising rate environment, inflationary environment, you would think that those smaller companies, micro type companies, would underperform. They're more reliant on debt markets. They have to borrow more. Rates rise. The economy slows down. They're hurt more than stronger balance sheet bigger companies. But that's not playing out in the first couple of weeks of the year. It just lends more of that cloudiness to the market yes. narrative, which is the reason why so many folks are trying to still figure out what the positioning yeah. position should be.
1: Watch and wait shall we say down. Thanks still ahead. The defense ETF, the ITA climbing more than 22% since early October. Wow. And with President Biden announcing today, the U S is reversing its stance on sending tanks to Ukraine. One investor says there's still room to run where he's buying next on the exchange. Welcome back. The iShares defense ETF down. Oh, not now. Everything that was down is up now. It's up a quarter percent. It is on pace, though, for a second straight negative month. Now, defense has dominated the headlines recently. Just today, both the U.S. and Germany reversed their positions, agreeing to send dozens of tanks to Ukraine, Russia calling the decision blatant provocation and announcing it conducted hypersonic missile tests in the Atlantic Ocean. Now, here at home, as the debt ceiling debate rolls on, Republicans in the House are reportedly considering broad budget cuts that could also include defense spending But the ITA coming off a 37 percent gain in 22. Lockheed Martin just reported a record year for order volume. My next guest is staying bullish. Let's welcome in Mark Avalone, president of Potomac Wealth Advisors. We brought back Dominic Chu here as well. Mark, I absolutely thought of you when we spoke a few weeks back about how you were bullish on defense, because soon thereafter, we had the whole Kevin McCarthy fight. Has that diminished your bullishness at all?
14: Well, no, not really. We saw a little bit of a pause in the sector and that's to be expected. But with the Democrats so behind Ukraine and Republicans, the vast majority of Republicans supporting defense, our view on government spending for defense isn't gonna be skewed by a a minority in the Republican party. It's also, our view is also bolstered by the unfortunate headlines that we see. The, The export of drones to Russia, from, from its allies is creating a demand for the air missile defenses that our large defense contractors make, the ones that dominate the ITA.
2: Don, what would you add? So, so I, I would say this. The, the issue for, for many of these defense contractors, especially the so-called primes, <laughs> the one who do most of the work for the U.S. government, people like Lockheed Martin or Boeing or, or Northrop Grumman or, or others like that, General Dynamics, which makes the M1 Abrams tank, the, the issue becomes how much mass or how many orders do you need For it to really move the needle and really be that huge tailwind benefit, because, as you point out, over the course of the last 12 months, we've seen a massive surge in many of these defense stocks tied to this kind of optimism. I mean, optimism is a weird word. Tied to the brighter outlook for defense spending because of geopolitical risks. Now, if they were to come to fruition, if things were to escalate, then you might start to see almost maybe a bipartisan agreement to say hey maybe we do need to spend a little more on defense going forward so that could be something to watch as well and
1: that would mark was your point that you know the ukraine issue actually got democrats around to the idea of increasing defense spending which they had traditionally been a little bit more reluctant to do could you also then give us your kind of like put this into context of the broader market you know as we sit here having kind of a risk on january while the data gets worse we're talking about debt ceiling and and you know escalation overseas how would you be positioned more broadly
14: Well, that's one reason why we like defense. Unfortunately, global risks are one of the biggest outlier macro risks, and that is one way we protect the other parts of our portfolio, which are under pressure. Look, we saw a real weak uh, computer consumer number out of Microsoft, and that tells you that's a harbinger of of a weaker consumer at the result of the Fed and their action. So that's why we want to be broadly diversified here. I don't think you you exit tech just because of the Microsoft report today. We are concerned a little bit about the Justice Department on Alphabet. But generally speaking, in a slower growth world, we want to own growth stocks because that's where top line growth would be. And we would pair it with other sectors that might do well in a volatile environment.
1: It's amazing to hear that that refrain come back, you know, own growth in a growth-scarce world. That was the refrain, Tom, in all of the 2010s. People have been betting the opposite now because of inflation, so this would be a different story. I also, just want to call everyone's attention to some of the turnarounds we've had today. You know, he mentioned uh, Alphabet. That is now the worst performer of mega-cap tech because Microsoft's on verge of turning positive. Capital One uh, showing some, uh, some of a, a springiness there as well.
2: Sure. I mean, the reversals are interesting only because... First of all, it's an intraday. So it's hard to extrapolate whether that's going to be a big trend. But it does give you an idea that there is still, at least in some shady corners of the market right now, a buy the dip mentality, meaning if there is a market decline and there are blue chip names out there, hey, either I cover my shorts if I'm winning some of those trades or I outright go long because, you know, what, it's come down far enough. I'm not going to go career long and say I'm going to bet the farm on it. But hey, maybe I'll step up and buy. And what you're seeing intraday, I mean, even Tesla stock, which was kind of, you know, down on the day, took a peek at green. I'm not sure if it's still there right now, but it's certainly something that you can watch. And this is all ahead of an earnings catalyst after the bell. So does it tell you that there is a maybe path of least resistance right now intraday for some of these stocks up? Uh, again, it looks like it right now. But, you know, I'll tell you what, Kelly, at the end of the two o'clock hour next hour, I'm going to go back. I'm going to take a look and see if I can't find some of the biggest intraday Perfect. reversals that we've seen. And we'll highlight those in the yeah, last part of the Yeah,
1: because the, the list is growing. Mark, quick last word.
14: Well I think what Dom somewhat highlighting is greed eventually replaces fear. Hmm. And the gurf trade is alive and well. People are afraid to miss out yeah. now because we've had such a roaring start, a 9% move yeah. in the XLK since January. People are diving in or afraid to miss out.
1: Gurf, in case anyone missed that greed eventually <laughs> replaces fear. Good stuff. Mark Avalon, thank you Dominic Chu, thank you as well, guys. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place